Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A sizable little 10-game Monday in the books, and we are back to break it all down and figure out what the hell it all meant. Here on Fantasy NBA Today, this is, of course, now a sports ethos presentation. Still getting used to it, but I'll get there. I do think it rolls off the tongue nicely. One thing we thought about was which order the word should go in. Ethos sports. That's hard to say. As one word ends with the same letter, the next one begins with sports ethos. Could almost be one word. Like a Greek last name. It is a Greek word, by the way, if you guys want to look it up. It's pathos, ethos. I think logic might be the other one. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Let's dive right on into the Monday recap. We can uh, talk about some of the logistical stuff midway through the show. I think you guys have generally appreciated my uh, reformatting, rejiggering of how we go through the podcast. Brooklyn beat Cleveland on the road. They did not cover, but they did enough and got the victory by five. James Harden, Kevin Durant, those guys did a lot. Marcus Aldridge, there he was again, 21 and 11. He played 35 minutes in this ball game, and you know he's going to see action when they go up against larger opposition. Jared Allen, big guy. Kevin Love, slow-moving big man. Laurie Markin a little quicker, but he generally plays power forward for Cleveland, so that was more of a DeAndre Bembry or Kevin Durant problem, or non-problem, or whatever you want to call it, although Markin coming back. Certainly the story in this game, kind of the continuing saga that is the Patty Mills stream, that worked out well. LMA, great. Roto games cap. When he misses games in head-to-head, kind of breaks you a little bit. So that's format dependent. And the healthy return of Jared Allen and Lowry Markkinen on that Cavalier side. And they both look good. Allen, 20 points, 15 rebounds against his former team. Missed some free throws to shave what would have been actually a really nice ball game. And with Markkinen, he had, one might argue, the best game of anyone on that Cavalier side because he shot the ball okay, hit three threes, eight boards, a block, five for five at the free throw line. A ton to like with Lowry coming back. And the funny thing is, you remember before he went down, I was preaching Markkinen as a buy low because his field goal percent was at about 36, and he was still sitting in that 75-80 range. While he's been out, guys have fallen behind him. Guys just tumbled out of that upper area. Now, to be fair, as his game levels off this year, you know, steals are going to come down. He's not going to average 1.2 steals a game. Maybe he averages a block a night. I also kind of doubt that. But the other stuff is on the way up. The field goal percent is on the way up. The scoring is on the way up. So I do think there will be something of a counterweight. And you're talking about a guy who now is suddenly like in the 50s in 9-cat. And it happened while he was out. That's kind of a funny little mini phenomenon there. No real changes on valuation here. I don't think he's a buy low anymore now that he's back. You waited too long. Kevin Love had 8 points and 12 boards, but his minutes dropped to 17, so there's just not going to be a whole lot of wiggle room there. Isaac Okoro has been okay lately. He puts the okay in Okoro. Certainly somebody's made that lame joke before. Uh, not enough for me to take that plunge on the fantasy side. Charlotte beat Washington, and we lost a bet on this one. I thought the Wizards would come back and play better against Charlotte the second time around, but offensively, Washington was quite bad. And uh, that's kind of unforgivable, 
Because as great as Charlotte is on offense, their defense isn't that outstanding yet. Still, uh, when you run into a buzzsaw, you run into a buzzsaw. LaMelo Ball got off to a slow start and then went ham, starting at about the two-minute mark of the second quarter. Another monster game for that kid. Terry Rozier, eight three-pointers in this one. And it was sort of that big game that we were all waiting for that pushed him right back to the edge of the top 100, and he'll just keep moving up from there. Uh, as far as fantasy ramifications of this ball game, there was some chatter that maybe Cody Martin might be getting over the hump. He's not. He's a streamer-level guy at best. Uh, Gordon Hayward is a guy we we sort of previously adjusted down in our rankings. He's probably not going to be in that 45 range this year. He's around 60 right now, and I think you can expect that type of thing to continue. And then Miles Bridges, who... Uh, they loved everything he was doing on the court in this game, except for shot-making, had a bad one, and that kind of wiped out the gains of his previous big one, and Miles now is back down to number 29. Not that this is like an omen of things to come for Bridges necessarily, but this is how it happens. When you're not paying attention, guys just slowly move back to where they always end up. Which is, by the way... You know, the fact that LaMelo Ball really hasn't moved out of that top 10, he's pretty much locked in there at this point. And Jonas Valanciunas, who has tapered off a little bit, only a little, you know, he's just cruising along. He's easily a second-round guy as long as Zion stays out. And I don't, think he, I don't think he falls much farther than about another round, maybe round and a half. Meanwhile, DeMar DeRozan's still at 15 somehow. Al Horford is still at 17 somehow. So there are still things that are probably going to shake up a little uh, but still, you're starting to see some of those guys where you knew certain things weren't going to hold. Harrison Barnes is another example of that. He's fallen back to number 35. Some of these things you just sort of knew. For the Wizards, you know, they've, they've been winning games with defense, and when a team actually beats them up a little bit offensively, they're probably not going to win. And we might be seeing the beginning of the leveling off. We might not. Also, Bradley Beal continues to be very bad at shooting the basketball so far this year. That's going to level off as well. He's sh still shooting just 42%. But he's taking 20 and a half shots per ball game. So it's a pretty easy thing to reconcile that when he gets his shot going, he'll be fine. I mean, think about... You can compare it to previous Beal seasons if you just kind of want to get a feel for how usage compares, and you know, last year he took 23 shots per game. They've slowed the pace down now, and he's actually somewhere in between 2018-2019 Beal and 19-20 Beal. My hope is that his shots go up by about one per game. I don't know that they will. This team has taken their foot off of the accelerator on the offensive side, so they're just generally a slightly slower ball game. Uh, Charlotte's bet him up a little bit, but even then, you're talking about Montrez, 13 shots, Dinwiddie, 11, KCP, 10. By the way, Contavious Caldwell-Pope has surprised me. He's number 113. He is a very firm winner in the streamer department. I do kind of wonder what's going to happen with this team when Rui Hachimura comes back, because I, I think he's rejoined them and he's working on conditioning. And then Thomas Bryant somewhere down the line. I'm not going to take a lot away from this game. I'm not racing out to pick anybody up or drop anyone. Although I did on yesterday's podcast mention that I thought Spencer Dinwiddie was on his way down and that you guys may want to figure out what you can do there. He's now barely inside the top 90 after this one. 
Houston was able to hang in there for about 20 minutes or so, and then Boston handled their business. Uh, Marcus Smart got hurt late in this ballgame. Hopefully he'll be okay for the next one because he was rapidly moving up the board prior to whatever happened in this ballgame. Jalen Brown came back. Robert Williams came back. Time Lord had 15 boards in a quiet game. He took one shot in 23 minutes. Uh, Jason Tatum, 9 for 9 at the free throw line, 30 points, 6 boards, 3 assists, a 3 and a steal. His ascent continues. Jason Tatum now uh, is at number 31. Very quietly, he has now passed Zach Levine in the ranking boards, and he's just sort of chasing down each round. He's... It's funny to think that only three games back, he was in the 80s. Big game to the 60s. Big game to the 40s. Medium big game into the 30s. Free throw number up to 80.5% now. And his field goal still at only 41. So he still has a nice way to go. His usage is through the roof. I have no fear at all with Jason Tatum. He was one of the easiest by-low wrecks of all time. And here he comes. Armani Brooks was the guy who had the game on the Houston side, but who cares? Alperin Shengun is the one we're all squatting on and hoping for the best, and he played pretty well here. And he tends to put up better lines in blowouts for Houston. I'd say blowout wins or losses, but, I mean, you kind of see where that's going. And uh, nobody else was above the cut line for this ballgame. So at least, you know, again, with the Shengun stuff, if you can get those types of lines where he's not killing you anywhere. He was generally helpful here in this ballgame in 21 minutes. You take that. Five fouls. He's going to have to learn on that side as well. And that's what this whole first three and a half months is going to be for him. Oh, by the way, Dennis Schroeder might fall outside the top 100 when the Celtics are healthy. His fantasy game doesn't translate that well if he's not the primary point guard. And now with Brown and Tatum in there, well, I guess Marcus Smart might miss a game or two. We'll see. Something to keep an eye on. The Schroeder thing, potential drop back into streamer zone. And then, you know, I don't even want to talk about Houston anymore. We've talked about them too much. It's frustrating. Atlanta beat Oklahoma City and uh, covered by a point, if you can believe that. Um, this game was fairly competitive, but not hyper-competitive. Hawks were able to rest their guys for the most part. Trey Young started slow, went big late. John Collins had five blocks. Gallo was fine. Herder was decent. Bogdan was okay. Capella was okay. Which is kind of what you're going to get when you blow a team out. And your guys don't, many of your guys don't have to crack 30 minutes. There you go. No Shea Gilgis Alexander on the OKC side. So Ty Jerome came off the bench and had a little bit of fun, but you can't trust that in 16 minutes. The, the real winner there is Josh Giddy, 15, 7, and 8 assists. That's the big deal. Primary point guard, he gets to get cooking. When Shea's the ball handler, Giddy's more of a rebounding off guard. But everybody's got Giddy already. Lou Dort coming back to earth as expected. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl becomes the, the talking point guy again. He's actually been like kind of pretty reasonable the last little bit. He has not been fantasy worthy over that stretch. But he's also someone that for now three consecutive podcasts... We've mentioned as a possible guy on the rise. His season numbers don't do the recent play justice. Last two weeks, he's averaged 24 minutes per game. Last week, he's up around 27 minutes, and he's hovering right around the edge of the top 100. To me, he's a guy that's worth adding 
just because we don't really know what's going to happen. He played 32 minutes in this game. They have no real desire to play Derek Favors big minutes for any stretch of time. They're just trying to unload him before the All-Star break. And you can see Isaiah Roby's fallen out of favor. Mike Muscala is another guy they're trying to unload at some point this year. One would assume kick the veterans out. And Robinson Earl seems like someone who steps into minutes, and he's been fairly efficient with them so far. Now, I wouldn't drop anybody who's cooking. You know, I wouldn't go that far. But this is a guy with... Currently on Yahoo, he's small forward. He's listed as a small forward, but he's been getting starts mostly at power forward and center. And I've got to think that at some point, usually it's about five games worth, that you get that extra eligibility. So that could end up becoming a more interesting footnote and why he might become a little bit more useful. He was basically the power forward in this game, though, starting-wise. Or Baisley, I don't know, argument on who actually filled what role there. Minnesota with another win. They've won, I believe, five in a row now. Patrick Beverly was very good once again and deserves to be started while he's healthy right now. And Vanderbilt was good once again. 16-11, two steals. Vanderbilt's rebounding has been very nice. He and Cat have found a way to coexist a little bit here. For a long time, Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniels were kind of alternating, and then in this one, they both got playing time. Vanderbilt, 25 minutes. McDaniels, 30 Vanderbilt's the safer play as the starter. That's a pretty easy one. Uh, And they went to a pretty short rotation in this game. McDaniels taking, I think, a decent number of the Nas Reed minutes and and Minnesota just going a little bit smaller. Uh, I'm okay with the Vanderbilt pickup at this point. Um, I'm not picking up McDaniels. He might even have the more interesting fantasy game, but his minutes are too unpredictable. At least with Vanderbilt, we're seeing that he's pretty steadily getting 24 of them. Uh, again, center-eligible guy. So throw him on your roster, see what happens. New Orleans, meanwhile, they're a mess. Yo, uh, JV got hurt in this ball game. He tried to play through a left knee thing. Hopefully he doesn't have to miss any time. If he does, Willie Hernan Gomez went for 19-11 and 11 on 8 out of 9 shooting in 22 minutes, and we know he is a robust fill-in option at center. Um... Jackson Hayes, I don't know what the hell is going on. There's a story with Jackson Hayes that I don't have in front of me right now, but he would have been the more interesting guy there. Uh, So throw Willie Hernan Gomez on your watch list while we wait on more information on JV, who's pretty much been the only reliable player on the Hornets this year. I mean, that team's been a disaster. But at least there's Josh Hart. Brandon Ingram's been horrible. He's outside the top 100. Josh Hart on the upswing. 13 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, 3 steals, and 3 blocks. What a great ball game. Hart now right outside the top 100 on the year. Much better than that over in the short term. Remember he had a few games where he wasn't really putting up fantasy stats. He's number 58 over the last 8 games on 12, 6, and 4.5 and with 1.5 and steals, half a block, and a 3-pointer. Good free throw shooting. Hart is an all-systems-go fantasy player right now. They moved Nikhil Alexander-Walker to the bench, but he still got way more minutes than Garrett Temple. You know my take on Walker, Alexander-Walker, I guess we got to do the full name, is that his fantasy game doesn't really support uh, starting most of the time. When everybody was hurt and he had to take 14, 15 shots a game, that was where you could say, okay, this is like the sort of the same story we're talking about with Reggie Jackson. There are problems, but you can 
overload those by just doing a bunch of stuff. Once you're not doing as many stuffs, then the problems, efficiency being the big one, becomes pretty glaring. You can't be bad at percentages and not cover it up by doing good things, threes, boards, assists, steals, blocks, whatever. You, you, you know, the only way that Russell Westbrook keeps ending up on fantasy teams is because he pushes triple-double territory sometimes. Not as often these days, but again, you've got to be able to outweigh the bad stuff with good stuff. And I don't, I just, I don't see how Alexander Walker gets back up higher than where he is right now. Weird thing is that Shea Cousins is behind him. Shea Gillis Alexander is number 162 right now. Neil Keel Alexander Walker is 153. Neither one of them is actually fantasy startable at the moment. Indiana with a big blowout road win in Chicago. I did not see this one coming. Bulls back off a road trip. This was the first game home phenomenon. They were terrible. Throw it out. On the indie side, I don't know if you can throw out everything. The minutes were way down for everyone. I'm getting a lot of should I drop Karis Levert stuff, and I don't think you can, bad though he has been, because he's down there with the, the Alexander cousins that we were talking about. Karis is in that 185 range. I don't think you can dump him because, I, you know, with the back stuff, the hope, I would assume, is that he progressively gets better over the course of the year. I just, I don't know what kind of timeline that is. We probably, you, we, I don't think I ever, I think I drafted him in a points league, basically, but nowhere else because you just don't draft injured guys to start the year, especially guys where we're talking about a stress reaction going on. That was, that was terrifying. But Malcolm Brogdon was solid. Miles Turner had four more blocks. Devonis Sabonis double-doubled. All the usual suspects were involved in it. Justin Holiday's actually been pretty good since moving into the starting lineup. Um, not everyday start-worthy good, but streamable good. Chris Duarte has more or less lost his main role. And then TJ McConnell got 21 minutes, which... Again, I have no idea if he might have squeezed another three or four out of this thing if it was tighter, but the the I need to see some assists, TJ. And I'm starting to concern I'm starting to become actually concerned that they're just gone. Now he's still at number 109 on the season overall, which is perfectly fine. People treating him like he's outside the top 200. He's better than almost all these other big names we've been talking about on this show today, but the assists are markedly lower he's at five in 24 minutes a game and only 1.1 steals i need to see that stuff get back where it belongs soon or i'm going to lose faith that it will milwaukee blew out orlando for the second consecutive ball game pat Connaughton put up some big numbers in limited work also nice to see drew holiday get things going good shooting missed his free throws for some weird Reason just had to put a dent in what otherwise would have been a really nice ball game. But this is a tough one. Again, if if the Bucks, if you didn't get your stuff in like 22 minutes, you weren't going to get it because this game was over by a halftime, which meant that a lot of guys got kind of left twisting in the wind. Bobby Portis was pretty good. He double-doubled but didn't do as much as if this ball game was tighter. Uh, Grayson Allen had 14 points, a couple of three balls. Looked like he was on his way to a nice ball game but only had to play 19 minutes. Middleton, 12-2-2. Giannis almost triple-doubled, but again, sort of limited work. And this is why I didn't really want to take the plunge on the Orlando side, because it wasn't clear who might get the bonus there. It seemed like Jalen Suggs would get a ton of usage, but he only got 17 minutes because the game was going so poorly. 
Franz Wagner, awful. Michael Mulder got the start here. Wendell Carter Jr. was, I guess, okay. But mostly it was the bench that got garbage time minutes, and R.J. Hampton was pretty good again. But, I mean, I double-dog dare you to actually try playing some of these guys without Cole Anthony, who apparently is the force that keeps them close in any of these ball games. Phoenix got very little out of their good players and still beat San Antonio on the road. DeAndre Ayton, 21-14, and 14, but then the other superstars. Devin Booker had 23, but not much else. Chris Paul, 12-4, and four, quiet game. Mikael Bridges, quiet game. Campaign, 20 off the bench. Landry Shamit, 11 off the bench. JaVale McGee, 14-8 and eight off the bench. Showing off their depth in another win. No changes on the fantasy side. Very nice to finally see Derek White get in the good part of the ledger. 19-4-4, two steals, two blocks, and a three-pointer. That's the kind of game we've been waiting for. Take a few shots, Derek. Don't be shy. Steals, blocks, boards, assists, sometimes threes. He can do it all. He just hasn't been doing it all. Hasn't really been shooting particularly well. And we've just been kind of counting it down, trying to figure out what we got to do to get get something out of this dude still by the way just barely outside the top 100 while playing terribly so far there is nowhere to go but up he was a buy low for weeks here and i continue to think maybe you could although after a big ball game like this one maybe it it won't be so easy i keep getting these questions about devin vassell and that confuses me because he's been an ad for three and a half weeks and brewski told you to draft him which I was like, are you sure about that? And he was like, yeah, this kid can play. And I should have listened because I didn't draft him anywhere as a skeptic. And now uh, he should be on every damn team. He's been outstanding so far this year. He's been sneaky, consistent, number 83 in nine cat. There's nothing not to like about Devin Vassell and his rapidly increasing role that just keeps growing. Every two weeks, he seems to be a tiny bit better no dylan brooks no d'anthony melton for memphis so desmond bain unfettered wing time slow-mo got shoved into the starting lineup he's streamable when brooks and melton are both out but bain's the main the main game in that spot uh jjj 20 uh had himself a pretty nice ball game as well broke 20 points had some defensive stats hit some threes did it fairly efficiently he continues to be a little bit frustrating in that he'll have a few good ones and then a couple bad ones, and he's still only shooting about 39%, less than that overall on the season. When that number comes back, and it will, folks, he's not going to shoot 30 under sub 40 for the year. He still can very easily claw his way inside the top 35. That's all it takes. Give me four to six percentage points on the shooting because then that negative mostly gets wiped out. The scoring and the threes become above average. It's three categories all rolled into one, and he continues to do a nice job at the free throw line as well. If you can buy low on JJJ, I suggest you do it. And as far as the Jazz goes, uh, who cares? They're the same thing. Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson are stream guys. I don't know how they got elevated above that head-to-head. They're durable, so I guess that's something. And no other real surprises on that Utah side. I guess Donovan Mitchell having a subpar game was a bit surprising. He's been very, very good this year. Inside, in the teens, which blowing me away, the two steals per game is likely at least partially the culprit there. Uh, But he's done a nice job of kind of solidifying himself in that range over these first 15, 16 games, which means 
It's going to take four, five, six to for him to fall back. I do think you're in a sell high posture on Donovan. We've seen enough of Mitchell to know that uh, either other people are going to move up or he's going to move down or some combination of both. It's just a weird year. You know, if you're not shooting horribly from the field, you have a weird advantage over other teams or other players across the NBA. There's a bunch of guys that are up around two steals per game, which is still kind of floating value a little bit. Like all of those big steals guys are very highly ranked. Maybe not very highly, but Marcus Smart in the 80s, Caruso in the seven or 60s, I guess. Chris Paul, first round, Thibel, top 60, Gary Trent, top 30, Jimmy Butler, top 5, DeJounte Murray inside 20, LaMelo inside 10, LeBron, Donovan Mitchell, Paul George, Tyrese Halliburton. All of these guys are sort of over budget because of steals. The question we need to ask ourselves, and, and then we'll break down the last game on the docket, is how many of these steals numbers do we think really stick for the season because there might actually be some sell high possibilities much as I wish to not admit them to be true among a few of these guys. Cause I mean, look at some of the names here, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, Paul George. These were big time Vespers guys that have been amazing in steals. And all three of those guys are inside the top or inside the first round. Jimmy Butler in particular has been unreal. He's number three right now per game in nine cat. But the question is, how much of this holds? We've already seen Chris Paul's number come down a little bit. He's fallen back. He was at like 2.6, 2.7 steals per game, and you knew that wasn't going to hold. But could other things keep the value afloat? Gary Trent was up around three steals per game. He's now at 2.1. But luckily for Trent, actually, while the steals have been falling, the scoring and the threes and the field goal percent have been trending up a little bit. Not that he's blowing the roof off the building with his shooting, but believe it or not, 43% this year is not that big of a negative because no one can freaking shoot this season. If you can shoot this year, you get such an unreal advantage. And that's another side question we need to ask. How much of the field goal percent stuff is going to stick? Are the handful of guys that seem to be fine with the new basketball or didn't ruin their offseason by sleeping for three and a half straight months? Are those guys going to lose a little bit of their advantage as everybody else gets back towards their career numbers? Or will they just not? Is it, you know, rules changes? have Is that what's ruining field goal percent because guards are missing layups instead of getting fouls called. There's some weird combination of things going on right now, but I do believe a lot of it slides back towards the midpoint. I do want to briefly say hi to all of you because we've gone through almost the entire yesterday card, the entire Monday card, without really a proper introduction. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today uh, once again, everybody. I'm Dan Besprist. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and spending part of your Tuesday with us. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespers. I want to throw that recruiting pitch out at you one more time. We are actually, believe it or not, looking for someone to run our new football division. Yo. Okay? I hope this is sinking in. This is like 
A lot of people say, oh, I really want to work in fantasy sports my whole life. Well, uh, hit me up. But you got to be good and you got to be willing to sink pretty much your existence into it. The upside is insane if you're good and you work really hard and you can write. I mean, I just, I can't convey to you how, what a massive opportunity this is. It sounds, by the way, um, it sounds like we might be in really good shape on the gambling side. So thank you for everybody that's written in. I believe we have uh, a couple of very late stage candidates. So that appears to be done. Um, So then really, this is the recruiting pitch. We want folks that are ready to help move sports ethos into this this new universe. Join us at Dan Bespris on Twitter or email support at sportsethos.com. There's no hyphen anymore. Support at sportsethos.com. It's E-T-H-O-S if you're looking for the the, uh, spelling on that. Uh, shout out to our buddies at Manscaped.com. It is Black Friday week over at Manscaped. Big things happening over there. They actually have a bigger sale going on than the one you get with our promo code, which is kind of annoying. But please do type in our promo code anyway, so at least they'll know who sent you. Here's the thing. Their promo they're running is 25% off, but ours will get you the free shipping. So use those in concert with one another. Black Friday, 25% off at manscaped.com. Promo code still HOOPBALL20 for now uh, to get you the free shipping on your order. Check out all the amazing stuff they've got over at manscaped.com. They're also going to be running a Cyber Monday sale. They've got all the goodies, man. This is your opportunity. If you were thinking about doing it, this is your time to take the plunge because you're just going to keep saving more money. This is the biggest sale that we can combine with them on at any point all season long. Please do check that out. And then you guys know I cannot go a show right now without reminding you that we have a chance to take home as much as $500 at manscaped.com on Turkey Week, their Turkey Week promo. Let me tell you about last year so you guys don't think I'm blowing smoke up your you-know-whats. Last year, they ran something similar, which was the... Here's what's happening, by the way. The short version is... Please don't tune me out. Please tune back in for this because if you have... Any, if you could use anywhere from two to $500, please pay attention to me right now. I beg of you. It's not fantasy, but like you might not win this much in your fantasy league all year, and we might do it this week over at MyBookie because of the promos they're running. First of all, first thing that's happening, uh, the Cowboys Raiders game on Thanksgiving Day, you can bet up to $250 on the full game spread, and it's risk-free, meaning if you win, you win. Terrific. If you lose, you get your bet back. You have to bet it again. You can't just cash that out. But you don't have to bet it all at once. So here's the brilliance. First of all, let's, bet you, let's say you bet $250 on that game and you win it. Awesome. You're up $200 roughly $25. Uh, a little less, a little more than that. Great. There are 13 odds boosts happening on Friday and through the weekend. Each one of those ranges from 10 to $25 in bets. And last year, I think those 13, they might have only done 12 last year, or maybe they did 13. It went like 9 and 3, or 10 and 3, or 9 and 2, or, or like 8 and 3. I don't remember exact number on it, but I lost 
my turkey day bet. I lost my risk-free Thanksgiving bet. So I put 200 bucks on a thing and I lost it. But guess what? I got that money back. Just meant I didn't win the $200. I still won almost 200 bucks on the odds boosts over the weekend. If I had won my risk-free bet on Thursday and my odds boost, I would have won about $400 without ever worrying about it. I bet on college football, college basketball, pro football, and I didn't even know a thing about what I was doing. I'm a basketball guy. And I won almost $200. I know many people that got the right side on the football game and won about $400 last week or last year. Let's do that again. It's $400, people. You can do a lot of things with 400 bucks. If you have a MyBookie account already, just go do this stuff I'm talking about. If you don't have one, holler at me. I'll help get you set up. It's super easy. We just need to make sure you use the promo code HOOPBALL so they know who's coming and who's about to take all of their money. <laughs> this is the week, man. The other odds boost throughout the year, they're fun and all, but like over the rest of the year, we might make 150 to 200 bucks over the other 11 and a half months. And then on this one week, 200, 300, 400, $500 all at once. Big wham. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Please join me on this. It's like, if you don't, I, I will never forgive you. You must. I, I beg of you. It's so much money for a lot of people. Maybe you don't need 500 bucks, but I think the rest of us do. I want to pivot back to what I was talking about on some of these statistics again before we break down that last game from Monday night. And I'm not doing the look-aheads as much on the pod right now. I'd rather do that stuff on Twitter anyway. Uh, and I also know this is Thanksgiving week, so half of you aren't even listening. But I do want to talk about this concept of its statistical value or scarcity even. Well, right now, steals are less scarce, but most of the folks that are in that uppermost echelon of steals are still highly ranked because even if they're less scarce, someone getting two or more per ball game is a really big deal, especially for Roto. If they're going to play 75 games. If one guy gets you 150 steals this year, that's enormous. I don't have the number in front of me, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that if I look back at, at my Roto numbers from last year, the average steal per player was around one on fantasy teams. It's a little bit less than that across the general idea of the NBA right now. I think uh, steals, the league average is like, a, actually, it's about one this year. It might be uh, just ever so slightly above one like 1.01, basically. And it was just a tiny bit less than that last year because, again, more steals are happening this season. So again, if you're talking about 820 games played on a Roto calendar, 820 steals is kind of the expectation for a middling team there. If one guy's getting you 150, that's a big deal. Even if steals are ever so slightly more prevalent this year. I'm actually more concerned about the field goal percent thing. Mostly because I don't know if it's going to revert to the mean. With steals, I kind of don't care. Like, we know enough about steals to know that all of these guys probably aren't going to average two steals per game. Donovan Mitchell probably not going to be at 1.9. LeBron probably not going to be two. 
I don't know what this what's going to happen with Matisse, Matisse Thibault. We know he can do it. Will he get the minutes to do it? Caruso at 2.2, maybe. I mean, he's getting minutes now. Marcus Smart at 2.3. He's a good steals guy, but 2.3? These are really big numbers. But even if they don't hold, I'm not that worried about it because I think everybody probably comes back a little bit together. And maybe a couple of these guys do hold where they are and they actually stay or they even move forward in the rankings. I think there might actually be more to the idea of, we've talked a lot in this podcast about buying on players who are way below their career field goal percent. I think there might be something to sell guys that are at or above their career field goal percent. And I hate to say this because you guys know how much I love Jimmy Butler I don't know if you're going to be able to get enough for him. Everybody's afraid he's going to miss games, and he will from time to time. But he's number three right now. If you can go out there and, you know, like Cat is at five, if you can go get Cat for Butler, you probably do it, even though Jimmy's actually been better. James Harden, who's up to number nine now, by the way, for Butler, you probably do it. Because Jimmy's been so good at shooting the basketball that, not that I don't think he's going to fall back that far, I just think guys are going to come up to him. And where he's getting a big field goal percent bump, if you use Basketball Monsters Player Raider, which I think is one of the better tools for looking at this stuff, he gets a positive 1.6 value on that when you compare it to league average player. How much positive work is he doing for your fantasy team if everyone in the league gets a little bit better and he stays the same he gets less credit for shooting 53 and a half percent from the field so he would actually lose value by staying the same if everyone around him is getting better now fortunately to this point we haven't really seen that happen because he's actually gotten better Started the year at like 51%. Now he's up to 54, which is obscene and crazy. And that's how good he's been. So it's possible that this is sort of a dumb theory and maybe doesn't need to be acted on. But I do think there's something to it where guys that are near their career mark, Miles Turner, 53% right now, has not seemingly been impacted by whatever's going on with everybody else in the NBA. John Morant, who's been amazing so far. Had another really good ball game yesterday. 48% from the field. Are people going to catch up with him on that? By the way, he seems to have solidified himself. I'll give credit where credit's due here. He's no longer the guy where the eye test and the fantasy test don't meet. He's, he's good enough now. I don't think he stays inside the top 25, but he's not a top 140 dude anymore. He's probably, I don't know, fourth rounder. So that's pretty damn good. And that's uh, closer to where he was going. He's going to end up being, I think, a pretty good draft pick this year. And I didn't touch him. And I got that one wrong. But at the same time, I don't care. I mean, I took Kristaps Porzingis in that same range. I don't feel particularly bad about that. He's number 11. You know, here's the thing. It, It hurts a lot more to be big into someone who ends up not panning out at all than it does to dodge someone who hits. Because there are other guys that hit. I actually think it's more important. I know I'm getting off a bunch of tangential thoughts here, but I believe this one actually is true is a truism as well. Uh, 
you can lose your fantasy league with a bad pick. You very rarely can win your fantasy league with a good one, at least in the early rounds. So that's why one of our key tenets here on Fantasy NBA Today is who do we dodge? Who do we dodge? We dodge guys with risk. A certain kind of risk. I shouldn't say like injury risk or percentages risk or things that are not... Things that are uncertain is probably a better way to describe it. So that's why Rudy Gobert was someone that I liked so much in the second round. There's minimal uncertainty with him. And there he is again. By the way, at the end of tonight, or sorry, at the end of Monday night, I should say, might be the end of tonight, Gobert number 18 in 9-cat per game. There he is again. Right where he always is. The Rudy Gobert spot. And I once again feel very good about being the Rudy Gobert guy this year. For whatever reason. I don't know why that ended up being me. But there he is. Who did we dodge? Christian Wood. Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It's not going to be a perfect record. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the early guys that we were looking at that have been uh, less exciting so far. I guess Dame, although he's working his way up the board right now. Bam's been a little bit annoying. Bam was someone that I really liked in the middle of the second round, and now with his knee stuff, it's, uh, I don't know what the hell's going on there. So it's never going to be totally right, and Bam was a guy we targeted because of how safe he seemed. He's a guy that just plays through everything until right now. Oh, well, what are you going to do? You can't win them all. Although... You know, some of these guys are taking too much heat. Bam is, what, he was in the late 30s before that last ball game. Dame, with a big one now, is in the 40s, so not all is lost. But the ones that I really want to avoid, the big goals every year with this stuff, the big goal is almost always the same thing, which is don't draft the guy early that sinks your fantasy team. And those guys right now are... I would argue Luca has actually kind of been that guy. He's a late fifth, and he's hurt. Not that we can blame the injury thing. I don't think you need to do that as well. Uh, Joel Embiid has been out. It was COVID, but, you know, something was going to get him at some point. Nine games, he's way back there. Uh, but those guys are kind of small even compared to Michael Porter Jr. has been a killer. We didn't know the back stuff. That's that's probably what, maybe the most painful pick so far. Eh, debatable Darren Fox has been an unbelievably painful pick I don't know why anyone's drafting Russell Westbrook Brandon Ingram's been terrible Shea has been terrible did I say he was a hundred and something no Shea's like right around the edge of the top 100 Christian Wood he might be the worst pick so far I don't know I like this is a lot of those guys I just mentioned other than Michael Porter Jr. who I liked a decent amount because what the hell man Denver gave him this massive contract. Whatever, we're not going to just spend this podcast complaining about MPJ sneaking a terrible back injury into the year. Uh, Darren Fox was a guy we dodged specifically. I said don't. Russell Westbrook, I said don't. Christian Wood, I said don't. I mean, these are some of the biggest misses in the early rounds, and we dodged them. I feel fantastic about that. Just by not being on those guys in the first three or four rounds, you increase your odds of competing or winning immeasurably. Westbrook was going right next to Rudy Gobert. And Chris Paul was right in there next to Shea. I mean, think about that. 
Christian Wood was going right next to Rashawn Holmes. Miles Turner was in there with those guys. Tra- uh, Tobias Harris, like these are Kristaps, JJJ. These guys are all in there with these dudes. Dodge the ones that kill you. That should be maybe the only thing we care about on draft day in fantasy. Uh, First game under a new head coach for the Sacramento Kings, Alvin Gentry. And, you know, there wasn't a a massive seismic shift in what was going on. It's not like they had a week to figure out a brand new strategy. And, you know, heaven knows. We'll we'll see how it all shakes out. Darren Fox looked a little bit better, but he healed. And maybe this was the one we should have seen coming. Buddy Heald looked so relieved to not have Luke on the round. And everybody else looked exactly the same. Matisse Thybul getting his wind back, piling up defensive stats. He's a must-start guy as long as everybody's out on that 76ers side. And probably will be even when people come back. Tobias Harris hopefully won't be out for too long. I think Joel Embiid is expected back in the next one or two ball games, And then Tyrese Maxey is a guy you can feel relatively safe with. I don't know about Furkan Korkmaz. I don't know about George Niang. I mentioned him in passing as a streamer-level guy. But I also talked a bunch on yesterday's pod about how annoying I find the Sixers to try to read into which of these other guys are going to be useful. I think you'd probably just roll Maxie, Drummond, and Theibel for right now. And just don't even worry about the other ones. Certainly in Roto, in head-to-head, if you wanted to stream Korkmaz or Niang and they were starting... That's fine. You might catch them on a good night, and they can lift your team up a little bit. But for the most part, you're not breaking your back for those guys. My, you know, a couple of footnotes on the Kings side. We thought we might see more Davion Mitchell. We did not. We thought we might see. I don't know. I don't understand this one. I, I get so many uh, Shemezi Metu questions lately. And I keep trying to figure out why. Because he had like two serviceable fantasy games. There was nothing great about them. He was fine for two games. He had a double-double in there with two steals and a block. That was a pretty good game. But then other than that, 14-5. and five, I mean, that's fine, but not great. 13-6, and six, meh. 10-9, and nine, meh. Mostly he's been fine. Mostly he's been fine. And then I dug into it and I figured out Roto World put out, sorry, not Roto World, NBC Sports Edge put out a couple of really positive blurbs on picking him up. And that's why. And his roster ship went from like 4% to 30%. And then it's dropped back to 20 already. Because <laughs> everybody was like, wait a minute. No, this isn't, this is not a thing. Um, seems like Alvin Gentry wants to make him earn it a little bit. We actually saw a Marvin Bagley sighting in yesterday's ball game. So maybe there's a rehabilitation possibility going on there but the main guys pretty much suck the minutes the way they normally would healed holmes who took a shot to the face in that ball game halliburton who went full facilitator mode that was like the game when kobe bryant refused to take a shot uh darren fox hopefully he gets going a little bit maybe they can free him and then uh, harrison barnes who did a little bit less than usual in yesterday's ball game but maybe it's Buddy Heald. Maybe that's the actual... Not that he wasn't actually playing okay even before that. He's right around the edge of the top 100. But, you know, maybe he gets it going a little bit. His free throw stroke hasn't been going. Maybe brain got broken by Luke Walton. Who knows? All right, rolling along into the next one. Enjoy the Tuesday, everybody. Have a great day. We'll be back at you tomorrow. We'll break down the uh, slightly shorter card. 
And then uh, Wednesday, we got the big one because no games on Thanksgiving Day. We'll come up with some fun stuff to do over the rest of the week. Fear not. We've got a plan. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Hit me up if you've got the fire in your belly. Want to run a football division. Think you can do it? Think you can do it football, what we do with basketball? Come on aboard. It's a Disneyland Limited. All aboard. Later.